You know, stop sign is usually meant to stop you, okay? Slow you down to the place where you stop. Well, there ought to be no stopping Christians. And in Acts chapter 5 and verse 17 and 18, let's start off here. And let's read Acts 5, 17 and 18. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is of the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. That's a big word. It just means furious anger. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, the religious teachers of the day, these people who were supposed to be teaching about God and teaching about right and wrong, got furious and got angry. And they were upset at Christians. They were, uh, they were so angry at people who were just following Jesus because they weren't following them anymore. Do you know how to upset a religious leader? Stop following them. You know what destroys people's lives is when people stop following them on Twitter. Twitter. They want to commit suicide. Nobody's following anymore. That's how these Pharisees felt. They saw people leaving their teaching to follow Jesus's teaching. Now, the Christians were getting in trouble. Why? Just speaking scripture, just saying what the Bible said. Just they weren't in, they weren't getting in trouble for thievery or murder or physical abuse. They were teaching about what the Bible said about life and about sin and about heaven and hell and about what Jesus did and said. That was what was being preached. There was there were no threatening actions. There were no weapons. It was just public speaking. By the way, you'll never get in trouble. You'll never upset people when you're just nice to them. When you just keep your mouth shut and you be a good little boy, little girl, and don't upset, ruffle, uh, ruffle feathers. Don't say what the Bible says and everybody will love you. But if you ever do dare to open up this book and say, thus saith the Lord, boy, are you going to get flamed. You'll get in trouble. These guys were getting in trouble because they were saying religion cannot save anybody. I was actually talking to somebody this week, and they got very upset when, I, when they were telling me how religious they were, and I says, it'll do you no good in the end. Religion cannot save. And they got upset at that because they've got a lot of time invested in all the good works they've done, and they've got better appreciate what I've done for him. You know what? It's not what I've done for him. It's what he did for me that makes the difference. You want to get upset? Tell people that all of us have sinned before God and we do not deserve a place in heaven. You don't deserve it. You can't deserve it. That's why Jesus had to come, because you deserve hell and he doesn't want you to go there. So just if you want to say what the Bible says, you're going to get in trouble. You want to get really in trouble? Tell people that good people go to hell. <gasps> How can good people go to hell? Because there's none good enough. All have sinned. We all fall short. So when you start to say what the Bible says, you're in a different category. So these Christians were kind of upsetting the culture around them. And we need that again, folks. Our culture, man, needs some upsetting. The religious leaders tried intimidation and fear tactics for several chapters now against these Christians. But now in chapter 5, they're turning up the heat. They're going to try and stop these Christians from affecting society. But you know what Christians are supposed to do? We're supposed to change society. You know, if I cannot, I wish I could shut down some of these 
sin holes and places that have destroyed lives. I wish I could just go and flip a switch and switch them off. But you know the way to shut down those discos and the pubs that are destroying lives? And oh, my disco, they, they, they have fun over there. Give them another two years and you'll not see them anymore. You'll not see the kids anymore. They'll be so absorbed in going further and further. If I, I can't shut those things down legally, but we can change the hearts so nobody goes anymore. So people find more joy in serving instead of in entertainment and in selfish desires. Christianity is supposed to change the world around us. But the question is this, what's it gonna, what was it going to take to stop these Christians and what does it take to stop us? So Acts chapter 5, let's read verse 17 and 18. And the Bible says, let's read it again. Then the high priest rose up. I mean, it's like he's bolting out of his chair. And all they that were with him, which are the sect of the Sadducees. Anybody knows about the Sadducees? They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't even believe in an afterlife. That was why they were sad, you see. So these guys were just politically religious. They were not religious at all. <clears throat> but they were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in the common prison. That's the normal reaction. Furious. They didn't, you know, I don't mind anybody having a different opinion than me. I just don't like it when somebody then gets in my face and screams at me because they disagree with me. That's, that's not on. These religious leaders were furious. It was like a demonic, dark anger. And if you've noticed, you can talk about anybody else. You can mention George Soros. You can mention Bill Gates. You can mention um, uh, uh, um, Buddha, Muhammad. Everybody will go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But the minute you start talking about Jesus, there is a dark anger. Have you noticed that? And it's getting darker and more vicious. Well, here we are right there in the Bible. Try to just, just try it and see what happens at home when you say, you know, I read my Bible today. <laughs> Daggers come out, you know. <clears throat> so they imprison the leaders of the church. And you ever, you ever think, what, 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 on what grounds? Because they wanted to stop the gospel. They wanted to stop what was happening in their town. They didn't want any more people getting saved. Again, this person I was talking to, I used the word saved, and they had no idea what that meant. What does saved mean? Think about it. We're sinners. You break a law, you're going to have to pay the consequences. At least you should. Well, there is one great lawgiver and one great judge. All of us will stand before one day. And unless we've been saved from the coming judgment, we will face that judgment. And these people didn't want anybody to be saved. They only wanted them religious. Now, at first, they started in Acts chapter 1. There were about 120, remember? There were only 120 meeting in upper room. Nobody noticed them. They were just a, a blip on the radar. There was nothing to them. Then... On, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. Amen? Okay, well, that's not so many. I mean, there's 100,000 in Jerusalem. 3,000 saved. It's really not that big a deal. Then a few weeks later, 5,000 more got saved. Now we're at 8,000. All of a sudden, they start making moves. They start making waves. Things start happening around that church in Jerusalem. And then look in verse 14. Go back to verse 14. It says, and believers were added were more added to the Lord. And the word is multitudes. They couldn't even count them. People are getting saved left, right, and center. 
And so they decided this has to stop. But verse 19 tells us God has other plans. You know, when the world has its plans, and I know George Soros has his plans, and so does, what's this guy over in the economic forum and all this stuff? Uh, huh? Swab and, and all these. I know they got all their plans, but I'm glad God's got better plans. Amen. And people are talking about, do we need to do this? And do, uh, You need to start stocking up on food. You need to start saving back money, not spending everything, because it's going to get hard, folks. It is definitely going to get hard. Over the next few months, you're going to watch this economy fall apart at every layer. But in the end, you know what? I've got to focus, my main focus, on walking with Jesus. I've got to have my heart right, my home right, because God seems to have a different plan for us. Amen? We do not live in worry. Now, we do plan. We do make preparations. But in the end, you know what the government does? They ruin them all. <laughs> they ruin all of your plans and preparations. A lot of people back in the 1920s stored up gold, stored up gold. And then when the economy collapsed in America and you had what was called the um, Great Depression, you know what the government did? They outlawed the owning of gold. So they'll always, whatever you plan, they'll always take from you. Just do this. They can't take Jesus. They can't take your joy. They can't take your salvation. They can't take your soul. Make sure that's right. It is well with my soul. So there was a miraculous release from that prison. Look in verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life, of Jesus's life. One angel. I right, listen, just think that the apostles are sitting there, bar, the, the, their bars and the doors are bolted and chains, and they're probably maybe in chains. We don't know. They're just in the prison, and they're sitting there, and then in comes this person from nowhere, and he says, guys, we're getting out. It's a jailbreak. <laughs> and he swings open those bolted doors, and he says, time to go. And, you know, I got a thought. I said, you know, the world shoved those people. Here's the, 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 the Pharisees shoved those two men into the prison. And then the angel shoved them right back out. I said, don't let them stop you. Amen. Don't let them put the fear in you. Don't let them shut you up. Even when Paul was in prison and was not. There were some times where the prison doors opened, but sometimes Paul sat in prison. You know what Paul did? He preached. He actually got the gospel into Nero's own palace through him preaching at different people who passed by his cell. <laughs> you know, I've known people who were the best soul winners in the hospital than I've ever seen. They were in hospital bed. They were waiting for treatments and, and operations, and they just gave the gospel, gave the gospel, gave the gospel. Do not let anything stop you from being a Christian and by speaking up. So it was a miraculous release, and now they were told to get back into the ministry. Look there in verse 20. Go and speak in back in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning. What's the first thing you do early in the morning? I bet it's pulling your phone out and seeing what notifications you got. Here, they went early in the morning, and they taught. They got back into the ministry. They, uh, uh, they actually went to a very public place. The temple was like going into St. Peter's Basilica. You got to remember that. This was no friendly place for the gospel. And they went right back into the heart of Judaism and they began to teach what Jesus said. 
this encouraged, I mean, listen, you, you've, been, you've been put away, you've been locked away, and then open the doors and you're right back out. This must have encouraged those apostles to keep going on. You know what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the political leaders, you know what they thought of Peter, James, and John, don't you? Ignorant and unlearned. That was the words they used, these ignorant and unlearned people. The word for ignorant is, in Greek, it's idiot. I know you say Egypt. That's how they looked at them. But they didn't care. They did, they, their life wasn't built upon what other people thought of them. Their life was going to be lived for the one who died for them. And out they went right back as if they were the most important people on the day. They went right up back into the, um, uh, the temple. And I thought about this. Look there again. In verse 21, he goes on when they heard that. They, they, the apostles, entered into the temple early in the morning, and they taught. But the high priest came, they all gathered together, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the sent of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. Okay, so do they know they're free yet? Do they know they're gone? No. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, and so they're telling on them. And I thought of this. What does that remind me of? An empty tomb. They went and they found an empty jail cell. They said, this means something. <laughs> Amen? Amen. You know, there are, you, you, when, when you've been spending every weekend down at a pub, I'm going to get in your face for a second. When you've been spending every weekend down in a pub, and that's been your life in the last 20 years, and you get saved, and that seat is empty, that speaks. That says to the world, he's changed, he's different. And we need that. We need to realize the world wants to keep you the way you've always been. And Jesus says, I freed you. I gave you a whole new life. Live it. Because an empty jail cell, an empty bar stool, an empty um, uh, place where you used to just get away with sin, that place abandoned is just like that tomb is now empty of Jesus. There's life now, not death. Where was this leading? Huh? Look at verse 23. This is what they said. The prison truly we found we shut with safety and the keeper standing without before the doors. Everything was as we left it. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them where unto this would grow. They're going, I don't know where this is going to go. Hmm. So, uh, Verse uh, 25, then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people still. It didn't stop them. Amen. You know, one of the things the, the Pharisees thought when they crucified Jesus, it would stop him, didn't they? They thought when they drove those nails in and they pinned him up to that cross and they dropped that cross into that hole on Golgotha and they left him there. They laughed at him and says, ha, ha, ha. And they walked away. They said, he's done for. Until three days later when they found out the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive, and he's still going. He's still going. So verse 26 comes up, and what we've got is now their fury is a little restrained, like, why didn't they run away? Normal people, if they get out of jail, guess where they go? As far away as they can, but not these men. Verse 26, 
Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence. Now, before, they physically grabbed them, they dragged them, threw them into the, into the prison. Now they're a little nicer. <laughs> they came without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. Because they knew the people loved listening to these men preach about Jesus being alive. When they had brought them and set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you? Did we make it a law that you should not teach in this name? They couldn't even say his name. You ever seen somebody so mad? My mom was so mad. She, I can't even, I'm so angry. I can't see straight. I never understood that, what that meant until I had kids. But these were so angry they couldn't even say his name. Did we not tell you not to even mention his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, trying to make us guilty. Now, they were humiliated. Just they've been where they thought they had full control. And yet here were these men out of their grip and just continuing to do what they were supposed to be doing. They they have a little bit of respect for Christians, which means we can't just do what we want. So we have to kind of be nice to them or else the crowds are going to stone us. But the apostles were still in trouble. We clearly commanded you not to speak or teach using Jesus' name. You have filled this city with your doctrine. Now, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, Jerusalem had about 100,000 people. Of course, got 200,000. They had filled that city with the gospel in just a few weeks. Wouldn't it be awesome if court got that kind of impact? Doesn't take a lot of people. It just takes some passionate people. And then you intend to make us guilty of murdering the Messiah. Let me just be real plain. The thing that got me about the, the importance of getting born again and about the, 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 the seriousness of my sin is that when this guy, John Cranford, showed me in the Bible, in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, all that stuff. Then he showed me verse 17. John 3, 17 says, For God sent not his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I said, well, that's a good verse. And he said, no, that's a very tough verse because you're already condemned. He didn't need to condemn us anymore. We're already condemned. And he said these words. He said, it was my sin, talking himself, and your sin, Craig's, that put him on the cross. I was part of the torture and the murder of Jesus Christ. And when I realized that, I realized not only am I a sinner, but I'm responsible for rejecting the Messiah all my life until now, that's when I got born again. And so when people say, you're trying to make me feel guilty, yep, yep, because that guilt cuts us and makes us realize that's, that's what Jesus did and why he did, and I've been fighting against it. I no longer am going to fight. I will receive, thankfully, a gift, which is eternal life when I should deserve hell now the christian's reply is kind of cute all right you're you're breaking the law we told you you can't speak in jesus's name you filled this city with your doctrine and you intend to make us guilty and peter comes up and says guilty is charged guilty is charged look at verse 29 then peter and the other apostles in unity answered and said we ought to obey god rather than men 
The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew, <laughs> and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. They said something that ought to be memorized. We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, that's not saying that we don't obey people. That's not, that's not Peter saying, I know it says 80 kilometers an hour, but I don't obey men. I obey God. <laughs> no, God said to obey the government. God said to obey the laws of the land until they cross with the word of God. So I have to do what Mihal Martin says do unless it goes against the Bible. And at that point, I choose to obey God. So I have to just look at, go, are they telling me if you were in China a few years ago, they commanded that if anybody had more than one child, they had to have an abortion. You know what? If you lived in China, you're going to have to go by the law until they say kill your next child and your next child and your next child. You have to obey God rather than men. It's God that tells us to obey our authorities until they tell us to disobey God. And that's what these Pharisees were telling these apostles, these Christians, don't preach, don't keep going, don't care. Listen, just go back and just live in your life. Live on Netflix, drink and be merry, but don't bother us. And they says, we have to obey God. And we need a Christianity that once again wants to obey God instead of our culture. Our culture has made wimps of us. Would you agree? We are terrified to open our mouth. We are, we are duct taped. We are inhibited just by the culture around us. And we should be the ones that are shining brighter than day, that have joy, that make a difference. Uh, Gavin was giving his testimony yesterday, and he was just saying he saw the um, uh, Tunde's kids with such joy. They were out soul winning in McCroom, and the kids were out playing and going from house to house. And it was so much joy in those, in those kids' life that when Kathy gave him the gospel, he was ready. He said, I've never seen anything like that just in those kids. It wasn't just happy-go-lucky joy. It was the joy of the Lord. Shouldn't we shine like that? Shouldn't we have an effect so people go, I've never seen anybody in so much trouble and yet with so much joy. So we ought to obey God rather than men. By the way, the doctrine we believe and we preach is simple. You know what the doctrine is? The Jesus you killed is Lord. That's all we preach. You see, God resurrected the man you murdered. You murdered an innocent man and God honored him and, and exalted him as a prince. That's the word in Daniel for Messiah and Savior. God is offering everyone the opportunity to repent, including you Pharisees. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, don't get this idea that, people, that Jesus only died for a few or only for select people. The Bible says Jesus, from the very people who had just nailed him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Didn't say, Father, forgive some. Aren't you glad he included you and me? Father, forgive them. These who just crucified me knew, know not what they do. Repentance, forgiveness was offered to those Pharisees. 
Then Peter says, we stand as witnesses that all that we are saying is true. I'm just not a parrot repeating what somebody else said. That's not what Christianity is. I, Christianity, I, I get this idea. Some people say, oh, well, all I need to do is go to church. All I need to do is learn how to sing a hymn. All I need to do is learn how to find places in my Bible. And I'm a Christian. No, you're a parrot. Amen. You're a, you're a mime. You ever seen the French mime, you know? You know how they do? They can mimic, they can act like somebody else, but they're not real. But a Christian has an impact to their life, changes their life. They are different and they speak up so that somebody else gets changed. We stand as witnesses and so does the Holy Ghost. That's the most coveted thing. The Pharisees had no idea. They said, who is this Holy Ghost? And Peter says, he's only given to those who obey Jesus. The ability to speak with languages, the healing that was going on in the city, even the doors being opened in the prison, all of those miracles, we, we are experiencing them, Peter saying, because we're obeying Jesus. You should try it. Now, it had an effect on the court. Look at verse 33. Verse 33. When they heard that, they were blessed. Oh, they were so happy. Is that what it says? No, <laughs> they were cut to the heart and then they took counsel to slay them. <laughs> you definitely don't want to be eating dinner with somebody who is scheming on how to kill you. And that was going on as they heard they were cut deep into the hearts. Normally, folks, uh, a court has an effect on criminals, doesn't it? Here's a guy, yeah, yeah, I, I can do whatever I want. You know, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I've been to court. Nobody ever made any impression on me. And then when they go in court, they got a three-piece suit on, you know, hair's combed. Your Honor, yes, sir. Uh, I'm, I'm, I didn't really know what I was doing. And my mama told me that you'd be nice to me if I just talked real nice to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A court has, an, a, lot, has a lot of effect on criminals, amen? But this day, those criminals had an effect on the court. <laughs> Look at what it says. It got them furious more. And, and if you take your Bible, uh, hold your place here and go back to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 in verse 11. Wonderful scripture and a great truth. I'm going to show you here. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 11. She's trying to turn on her Bible. You know how it works there. Isaiah 55, 11 says this. So shall my word, this is God speaking. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. We'd say empty. Watch it. But it shall accomplish. My word shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. Whatever this word Whenever this word is preached or read, you say, I don't get anything out of it. Oh, yeah, you got something out of it. You just don't know it. You don't realize a seed has been planted. God, and you being here today, is not by accident. Whatever I'm saying with all my heart, I don't know your situation. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what's happening tomorrow. I'm just trying to give you something to hold on to. And the Bible says God makes a promise. It will work. Now, here's the truth. Are you ready? <laughs> Hold on, forget Gamaliel for a minute. 
It is up to the hearer how it works. What do I mean by that? It will either cut and hurt you deeply. I remember when I was, when I was listening to the preaching. I first, when I started going to church, I was 17, sitting in church, 250 other people there. They're all smiling. They're amening. And this guy is ripping their face off. But I enjoyed it because it was kind of interesting. It was entertainment. But then after a while, my attention was not on the crowd anymore and on everybody else, but on what he was saying. And I got the Bible in front of me and I'm reading along. It was no longer pleasant anymore. Anybody remember those days? You're reading the Bible, you're going, I don't like that. That hurts. It's cutting me. It will either cut and hurt you deeply or it will cut and heal you deeply. It depends upon how you receive it. You can either receive it as a hard rock and it becomes a hammer or you receive it as a broken already in pieces and it's glue that puts everything back together but better. Most people just get upset. And like the Pharisees, miss the opportunity to say, tell me more. Now, Gamaliel speaks up in verse 34. Now, Gamaliel is kind of a unique guy. He's one of the leaders. He's a very wise man. He, um, very well-educated teacher of the laws of God. This is the same guy that taught Saul of Tarsus. You got to remember, this is a very influential guy. And he remembers being in the court when they dragged another man, Jesus, before them. And they, in a, in a, in a rage, they called for him for no reason. They had no reason, but they called for him to be killed. And they took him, dragged him before Pilate, and they had him crucified. And he remembers that. And he's a little more thoughtful. So verse 35. I'm sorry. Let's see. Verse 34. Then stood up there one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, and had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And he said unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do is touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many obeyed him, were dispersed. Get the picture. What is, what is Gamaliel reminding? He's saying, you know, Thutis and uh, what's this other guy's name? Judas of uh, whatever his name is. Not Judas Iscariot, the other, another. Judas of Galilee. Both of these guys were ringleaders, got people around them. When they were prosecuted and they were killed, their, their people all disbanded and went home. Nothing ever happened. That's what Gabriel is expecting about the followers of Jesus. They kill Jesus, his followers will go away. Have we gone away? No. But boy, it sure seems like we are. Seems like we're cooling off. Seems like what couldn't stop them then is now stopping us now. And I think Jesus hasn't changed, has he? I think the condition of the souls of men and women and boys and girls all over the world, that hasn't changed. The reason for Christianity is still valid. So Gamaliel begins to reason with them. He says, there are always problem makers. Let's be careful what we do. 
They faded into history. Nothing ever happened. Then he says something that is part of our laws today, and it's called freedom of speech. He said, let them go. Let them, uh, uh, let them speak, and let's meet with them face-to-face, truth-to-truth. The way you find out truth is not by censorship. Can anybody start agreeing with me now? The last thing our children need growing up 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is to be censored from truth. I mean, they're not even protecting three-year-olds and four-year-olds from stuff now. But when you, uh, when you try to show them Jesus, you're not allowed to mention anything to children or teenagers. They need to know what's wrong with them, why they are driven to go and, and try to just get away. There's something broken inside and they need Jesus Christ. But Gamaliel says, let them speak. Let's give them the freedom of speech. Let's, let's answer them. Let's go head to head. And that's how truth is exposed. If you've ever watched a courtroom, you have two evil people. <laughs> one's called a prosecuting attorney and someone's called a defense attorney. And the poor person who's trying to get justice is hammered and everything is brought out. Why are they doing that? To get to the truth. Amen. You don't say, well, I don't like what you said. Well, we won't enter this evidence. No, no, no. Bring it all out. And that's what this world needs to see. It's a bunch of Christians saying, you need to hear what I got to say. You won't like it. But if you've got an answer to it, bring it on. We need as Christians to have the courage, like we learned a few weeks ago, boldness like the Christians, that we speak up. So he says, you know, God's in control. And we could be. I like this. Let's go back there. Let me look at this. Uh, verse 38, uh, verse 38 and, and now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will always come to naught. But if it be of God, I wonder if he's sneaking suspicion. Jesus could have been the Messiah. But if, if, if this Christianity is not of men, uh, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. I think it's brilliant. So it says to him they agreed, looking still there down in verse uh, uh, 40, verse the first part, and to him they agreed. But it wasn't over. They're given a final warning. When they had called the apostles back in and they had beaten them. <laughs> Don't you love government? We're just going to show you who's boss, okay? When they had beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. I don't know if you see this, but seriously, they beat the apostles. Now, it was the law that they took. In, in Singapore, they call it caning. But in Israel, it was a proper rod, a, a stick that was about a meter long, and about the, it could be the thickness of your thumb, and they, they tied them onto a a bench down and they beat their back until they were black and blue until it bled and they had whelps half inch thick on their back 39 times each and then they let them go that'll learn you that'll stop you i've never been beaten 39 times i i i have no idea what they felt like but i pondered it and then I read the next verse. Let's see the reaction, verse 41. 
And they departed from the presence of the, joy, of the council, weeping and crying. Is that what it says? Rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I like it when I'm around important people and they say, oh, and this is my friend, Craig Ledbetter. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often, but anyway. I, I, I like honor. I want to be, have the center of attention. You know how it is? Yeah, you know. But these guys thought it was an honor to suffer shame and a beating. They said, wow, now we're somebody. Do you get this? They departed from the presence, verse 41, of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his sake. Rejoicing and suffering. They have been intimidated, threatened, humiliated, yelled at, falsely accused, then beaten up, and then thrown out of the court onto the street. And yet they're dancing, raising their hands, smiling, and looking at each other like they just won the lottery. That's Christianity. Where did it go? Where did it go? They felt honored. You know, to be worthy of, of Christianity, I'm not worthy of the name Christ. Christian, Christ follower. If you looked at my life, and what do you expect a Christian should be, you'd go, nah. I'm not worthy of that name. Until that day where all of a sudden somebody turns against me and says, you're one of those Christians, aren't you? <gasps> somebody noticed. That's an honor. I was at work, working for a telephone company, and I tried my best to witness to different people <coughs> and get up, you know, give a gospel tract to people, invite them out to church, all the things you do. And nobody noticed me, okay? Until somebody came along. There comes that preacher again. And I went, <laughs> somebody noticed. Amen. They made a mocking statement, but I took it as a badge. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. They rejoiced at being called a mocking name, Christian. You're like that dead fellow. Oh, no. I'm like that living fellow. For a Christian, this is what Paul wrote. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me put that in a little longer phrase to understand. For a Christian to live means not living like the Pope, but living like Christ. For me to live, whatever that means, whatever suffering I go through, is Christ. That's what I want to live like. And to die, hey, it's just gain. Felt honored to suffer. And then verse 42 says they didn't quit. Verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not. What were they told to do? Cease and desist. And he says, we can't. We can't do that. Why? Because the truth matters. The truth matters. Secondly, Jesus happened. You know what kids are taught today? There is no God. DNA is not a language. We are the product of a series of accidents and cascading chemicals that just happen to create consciousness. We're all accidents waiting to just be part of fertilizer. That's what children are taught. That's what adults believe. Jesus happened. 
Religion is not what this world needs. Jesus is what this world needs. Souls are worth suffering for when we do right. I don't believe the devil should be allowed to govern the lives of Christians anymore. I think Christian men need to have a boss over them named Jesus Christ. Amen. And there's not a woman in this, this room who's married to a husband who wouldn't trust him with her life if she knew he was under the authority of Jesus Christ. What governs your life? Your sports, your money, your holiday, your hobby, your fear, your friends, or Jesus? Oh, that this was always our response. Joy when trouble comes. You know, we, we say this sometimes. When things go wrong and go bad while we're trying to do right, like our horse there last week, <laughs> when we tried our best and we worked our tail off to get everything just right, to get everything in the parade so that we looked like the best float of ever and everything went wrong. Do you know what we decided? We must have been doing something right. Amen? If the devil was so intent on stopping us from going through city and everybody remembering us, we must have been doing something right. Amen. And you know what? I don't care if they remember us. I do want them to remember our signs that went down and just put the gospel up. Amen. So we didn't quit. Hallelujah. Even though the horse bolted. <laughs> Amen. And never forget. Oh, I mean, I had people going, Pastor, you, how did you handle that so well? I mean, I saw Eric's veins were, and, and we were like crying, and we're, we're going to go, how do we go through the town like this? And I just looked out, guys, let's go. Let's smile over in the parade. I don't know how we did it, but I wasn't going to quit. Amen? Let's, let's not look at the circumstances. Let's not look at the pain or the, the suffering that we may think we're going through. None of us are going through like the rest of the world is. Jesus is the one that told us to go into all the world. Tell the good news. Tell about the coming wrath of God and how to get free of it. Religions are still trying to stop everything that has to do with Jesus. Religions don't mind people getting together. The world doesn't mind people having little get-togethers and fellowships. But you start preaching Jesus Christ and you get people upset. Nothing stopped those Christians from going and preaching this book. As a matter of fact, they turned the world upside down. That's the testimony of the book of Acts. What does it take to stop us? And it's not much today, if I can be honest. It doesn't take much to stop us. We are the gospel's worst enemies. Not the atheists, not the Protestants, not the Catholics. We are. Our lack of heart and our burden for souls leaves souls lost and without hope. Isn't that what you're asking me? Say, you know, when we don't give a gospel track, that was just as wrong as us going off and doing some sin. When we had a chance, you can do it all the time. But boy, the Lord laid something on your heart, and you're supposed to give him a gospel track, and you don't. We're abandoning that soul without hope. Our ignorance of the spiritual war going on abandons people to Satan's grip, and we need to start engaging the enemy again. Our laziness toward doing gospel work leaves so much undone. Jesus even said it. The harvest is massive and uh, the laborers are few. Pray for more laborers. And our desire to be liked by everybody leaves God the most unloved. What has happened is 
we've forgotten these words. We ought to obey God rather than men. We've cooled off. We've lost our burden for the lost. We used to, some of us used to be, we used to be weird. We used to be passionately out of the ordinary. And we lost it. We kind of cooled off. We don't see souls. We don't see people in need. We just see, bleh. We don't take any risks anymore. We expect someone else is always going to take up the slack. And we crumble under any kind of pressure that tells us, be quiet. Folks, the words are still true. We ought to obey God rather than our feelings, rather than our friends, rather than even the laws of the land. How do we do that? We keep our attention on Jesus. One last verse, Hebrews 12, 2. Go to the right, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. I'll give you another second there. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, keeping our eyes on him, the author, and I love the last part, the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He went ahead and endured the cross. You know, the joy that was ahead was me. That is weird. He got excited over me and over you. The joy of saving us, a wretch like me, encouraged him to endure the cross. He despised the shame. He didn't let the shame, embarrassment of all of that in front of everybody. He was falsely accused, crucified for no good reason, and he, he just rejected the shame and is now set where? He sat down to the right hand of the throne of God waiting to come back. King of kings and Lord of lords. Keep your eyes on him. And that'll encourage you to keep going, folks. I'll, you look at me and go, pastor's kind of cooled off. Don't look at me. Don't look at so-and-so. Don't say, well, so-and-so, they used to be here and now they're not coming. Don't look at anybody else looking under Jesus. He's the one that kept those apostles and Christians going and turned the world upside down. And we need to keep our eyes on him too. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. Everybody's head is bowed. Do you know, Jesus is the reason why anyone becomes a Christian. The Ten Commandments will not be your reason why you become a Christian. It'd be a sad thing if you only become a Christian because of a Christian, but there's no other good reason to become a Christian than Jesus. And if he gets your attention, if you just look at him, if you read what he said, if you watched what he did, it would cut you to the heart. Oh, yeah, you might get angry, but you might get healed. That's what happened with me 41 years ago. Dear friend, if you're saved, he's the reason why anyone keeps going as a Christian. A lot of people cool off, and I'm sure there's a thousand different reasons why. We just cool off and we pull back but none of them are any good. There are no good reasons. There are 7 billion good reasons to keep going. There are people all around us who have no idea. Again, Gavin and I talking to somebody yesterday, had no idea what it meant to be born again. Didn't know the difference between religion and Jesus. We've got a lot of work to do. People we think, oh, they're a good person. Oh, they must be religious. Oh, they must be okay. 
They're not. And we're to blame. Father, in this room, there's always so many needs. And the most important need is in the souls of people who've heard your word today. Two different groups. One group that's not saved, confused, maybe fighting you, arguing from the position of, I'm okay, I'm, I'm doing fine, I don't need that religion. But they do, and they know it. And I'm not you. I'm, I, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know who is where or what. All I know is I'm saved. And I know that I know that I'm saved because I cried out to you as a sinner. And I asked you to save me. I read in your Bible, you said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I believed it. Lord, would you help somebody today do that? And cry out to you and say, Lord, I'm not a good person. I'll never enter in heaven. I know that, but I don't want to go to hell. Would you please save me? I want to follow you. And then there's a second person, and that's the Christian who's going to heaven. Sins have been washed away, but they've got duct tape on their mouth. Their hands are tied. They're worried about what everybody feels and thinks about them. I pray you'd free them once again today. Give us back that courage and that yearning to keep going as Christians to keep staying faithful, doing what we're, we are Christians. Let's just be Christians. Let's be like Jesus would be if you were in our shoes. Lord, we need that. We want to be like the church was. We don't want a modern day church. We want it to be your church. So bless what we've heard. In Jesus' name, amen.